Welcome to the Grassroots Government Podcast. I'm Avery Davidson, your host, and along with Carl Wiggers, our producer, and Andy Brown, the National Affairs Coordinator for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. And we have our second guest ever. Second guest. You we're, know, we're on a good trend. I feel like this podcast is finally becoming something that that that's growing that people want to be on. Well, we, Joe Mapes has got to step it up because I'm uh, I'm batting two for two in uh, in our. Uh, U.S. Congress. He's got to get some state folks on here, but uh, we're super excited to have our guest today. Uh, just a, a pleasure and somebody that we've been getting to know and to, to work with even closer over the last uh, year or two. Uh, so Congressman Higgins, uh, Clay Higgins, out of Louisiana's 3rd Congressional District. Captain Higgins, glad to have you on Grassroots Government today. I'm happy to be with you, gentlemen, to, to talk about some very important issues that that face Louisiana's farmers and and our agricultural industry is just so important to us all. Well, Congressman, I know that uh, you've got some time planned out in the district uh, over the next few days. Tell me about where you're going to be going and what you're going to be seeing uh, in when you go and visit some of the agricultural operations in your district. Well, yes, sir. This is a, a dedicated uh series of meetings that we organize a couple of times a year. I bring uh, staff in from DC and, and we go through the, through the district to meet with, um, with farmers facing, you know, various issues, whether it's uh, workforce issues or storm recovery or the impact of COVID loss of consumption uh, federal programs, um, dealing with the bureaucracies, et cetera. So the, the, the things we cover and discuss, and I, I find it best when you can dedicate, you know, man to man, face to face in person uh, time, because it's, it's just not the same. Certainly these days in DC is it, so restricted, you know, they, they've, they have uh, they've they've stopped the citizens from coming to D.C. and to to visit in person. So we are bringing the services that we render and we're honored to deliver uh, to the people. And we do this a couple times a year. Uh, obviously, I represent ten parishes, so we 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 cover different regions of the district uh, a couple times a year so that we can get in front of the farmers and the agricultural industry properly and and listen, you know, with a very careful ear to the concerns. We're going to we're going to Mamou, we're going to uh we're going to Calcasieu Parish, we're we're going to meet with some crawfish processors, we're we're meeting with the Cattlemen's Association, we're meeting uh with a bunch of rice farmers. Um the the list is full <laughs> for this week's agricultural tour. Well, normally it would be a full schedule of those folks coming to see you, but we're uh, we know the the circumstances exactly. aren't allowing that. So we're very very uh, thankful that you're a man that that stays connected to his people in his district and takes the time and brings your staff. Not everybody does that, and uh, proud to to get to know Turner and the other staff you have that work with us. So that's that's a pleasure. Right, it's important. Turner is uh, my agricultural legislative staff guy in D.C. and He comes straight out of the out of the USDA under Sonny Purdue's leadership, so he has 
several years of working within the executive and uh, for congressional offices in D.C. So he is quite an, an excellent hire. We were able to, to, to pick him up last year towards the end of the year. And bringing him into the district is important because, you know, once you have that that relationship established and the phone numbers have exchanged and you've had you've had a, an in-person conversation about issues, you know, that's a that's a bond that just gets stronger and stronger as the months and years unfold and and we're able to better serve the more accessible we are and the more transparent we are when you have a, a face and a personality attached to the voice on the other end of the phone that you're talking to in DC, this just gives our agricultural industry stakeholders and, and, and job providers a direct connection uh, into the heart of that uh, bizarre realm of Washington DC <laughs> without feeling like they have to go through me. Of course, I'm always available. Um, my, my phone doesn't stop and I always return calls, but Turner is an important addition to our team over the last year. This will be his second trip to, uh, to Louisiana for a tour like this. As I said, we, you know, we do it. We accomplish this a couple of times a year. Congressman, uh, I'm from North Louisiana and one thing we don't have a lot of is foreign labor, guest labor that comes into the state, uh, especially on the farm that I grew up on. Um, but that's something that you'll see a lot, you know, in, in crawfish processing, crawfish farms, rice farms, sugarcane farms down in, in your district. How has representing farmers and, and ranchers across the, the district, how has, how I guess, what, what have you learned about, you know, those struggles? And you mentioned workforce being a real, a real struggle lately for, for farmers in the district. Well, what I have learned to my chagrin over the past five years, I mean, I'm telling you, it's been quite an educational experience. It's been like, you know, 10 semesters of graduate study. (laughs) And the the farm and seasonal guest worker program, the the H2A and H2B programs, basically the clearest way I can explain to folks that are not familiar with it is that the realities of 21st century workforce America is that the more labor intensive the job is, especially without machinery, the more like hands-on labor intensive a job is, the harder it is to find workers to take that job. Even at enhanced pay, you can forget about minimum wage, man. You know, these, these guys, there's, there's thousands of jobs available. Let me put it that way for any American that's willing to actually really work very hard uh, in the agricultural industry. But what these, what these farmers and processors have discovered is that, you know, they can advertise for a job, which they're required to by law and no one applies. And, and if an American, you know, a young man does come take that job it's very common for him to leave the job the same day when he finds out <laughs> it's really hard work. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, culturally, our nation has changed regarding the willingness to, um, to advance your, your own family and, and to earn 
based upon an extremely labor-intensive job. On the other hand, as an American myself, I really don't want any American family to be dependent upon a seasonal, temporary, part-time job. We want Americans to have solid jobs with, with good career opportunities, the chance to advance themselves, good benefits, health insurance, 401k, and we want them to be able to stay on that job um, for a long time or for as long as they feel that they they can as they're advancing their, their own family's financial stability and economic prosperity. We don't want Americans trapped into a job that's that's scheduled to last, you know, two or three months and has no benefits and no health insurance, and no no retirement, no 401k. And it is incredibly labor intensive. We, we, so culturally, our nation has, has, has changed to the extent where it's just hard to find young Americans that'll, that'll accept those, those heavy labor jobs, even at, at, at good income, you know, $15, $16 an hour, stuff like that. Um, and on the other hand, it is true that we don't want Americans stuck in those jobs either. We want Americans to have solid, stable jobs that offer economic prosperity and growth and stability and benefits. And that doesn't describe these, these farm jobs that, uh, that generally use seasonal uh, imported labor. Well, that's, that's absolutely so this is what I've learned. Well, that, that's, that's uh, music to my ears, Congressman, because I know um, it's it's a tough balance that you have to to lead in a, a position that you're in. There's plenty of other constituents in your district that we hear from a lot that aren't in agriculture uh, that that don't necessarily understand that. So I think uh, we know that you you've uh, you've learned a lot of that on in this role, but we also know that you hear from other sides. So I think just it's important for our listeners to hear that too sometimes of what the what we're up against in agriculture not just from a policy standpoint but as you pointed out a, a cultural standpoint because all of that uh, all that funnels to DC we we get in an echo chamber sometimes in the farm bureau and think that uh, the world revolves around agriculture but uh, to to know that it takes all kinds of jobs and that we're one uh, important in piece of the wheel but uh, we certainly value and respect that that it's not easy to understand that unless you're doing the the tours you've done or uh to to visit with your neighbor that is in farming that uh deals with those issues every day right that education has never stopped i'm, I'm constantly speaking with the constituents that i serve um, in, including of course in agriculture and other industries that 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 have labor uh challenges we I met with the with the home builders association yesterday and they have an incredible um issue man with the with the, the price of lumber and the the shortage of uh available labor there's been some policies enacted at the federal and state level across the country as because of covid that that is basically paying people to stay home. And the, and again, as you move into the workforce, the more labor intensive the job, the now you're really digging into that demographic of Americans that are establishing their, 
their financial stabilities. They're building their economic prosperity for themselves and their family. And they're, and, and they're young enough to, to, to handle those, those heavy labor jobs. And those are the ones who primarily getting paid to stay home. So it's like a perfect storm that we have created in, in, in America right now with, that has caused a labor shortage. And let me touch on what you mentioned. Very true. Politically, I face, I'm a member of the Freedom Caucus. I, I'm, I'm one of the most conservative offices in, in Washington, D.C. That's, you know, to argue otherwise is absurd. It's difficult to get to the right of me. And I'm an, so I'm an America first guy. I work for the American citizenry. I, I serve this, the, the, the people of my, the nation that, that I love. And, you know, I don't work for Mexican citizens or Guatemalan citizens or El Salvador. You understand? I'm an America first guy. And yet I have, I have to constantly explain to my colleagues that do not get it regarding the, the labor challenges in agriculture and labor intensive industries you know, you're only talking about about 75,000 or 80,000 or so part-time, temporary, heavy labor, no benefit jobs. So when you look at the, you spread that across the country, it's it's really not intellectually sound to take the position of, well, you know, those jobs should go to Americans. <laughs> well, first of all, you're talking about not a lot of jobs. And and secondly, they're offered to Americans. And, and I, we just have to be realistic enough to accept the fact that that uh, America's culture has changed. And, and, and it's difficult to fill those jobs with Americans, no matter what you pay. And they're, they're decent paying jobs. There's no benefits. They're temporary, as I explained earlier. We don't want Americans stuck in those jobs, and you're only talking about seventy-five or eighty thousand. The cap is sixty-six for H-2B, sixty-six thousand for the whole nation. So, the the reality is there is some political push that I have to constantly deal with, just based on a lack of understanding of what our farmers and our crawfish processors and our our agricultural industry is is having to deal with on an annual basis every year every year for 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 planting and harvest and uh and and processing or or milling there's 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 an incredible labor shortage and the only way to handle it is through legal temporary uh workforce we're a lone voice out there sometimes uh, you know it, it- it doesn't really matter if if you are able to get all of your your grain, all your crawfish, all your commodities out of the field. If you've got no way to get it out to the people who want to consume it, whether it be domestically or internationally, so you got to have a good strong infrastructure there in Lake Charles. You've got the Port of Lake Charles. You've got uh, I-10 that runs right through the heart of your district, and infrastructure right now is a big buzzword in D.C. So do you see anything with these infrastructure talks that could benefit agriculture and the people of your district and more importantly about the ways to pay for it? Because uh, I'm, I'm hearing some pretty high price tags. 
Well, yes. In a, in a, in a word, yes. The, the answer is uh, infrastructure will certainly benefit the in, entire uh, citizenry of Louisiana because infrastructure drives investment, drives business investment and, and expanded business operations drive economic prosperity for the for the thousands and thousands of families that 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 are willing to work and 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 want jobs with benefits and they seek economic prosperity and growth so in order to build that opportunity to to prosper we must have infrastructure that uh, that fits the demand and allows growth beyond your current uh, you know production levels and I'll give a good example a couple of years ago we 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 managed to close a deal that um, that delivered many uh, tons of rice to on a based upon a, a, a MOU for Iraq, and and so that's I, that's putting the whole nation, but a lot of that rice came from Louisiana. Absolutely, and it was beautiful. I went down to the port. You mentioned the port of Lake Charles, so I went down to the port to meet with the with the dock workers and the the laborers that had been hired. All, all Americans, they were all from that area. They they knew how to work the dock. They had some experience there. It's quite a job. You have eighteen wheelers rolling in one after another loaded with uh, bags of rice. The rice is moved from there to it's palletized in the big warehouse and then the pallets are you know wrapped and moved onto the, the vessel which is which is docked there at the at the port being loaded when that rice is headed overseas. Okay. Well here's something that I learned. Not only did are those guys there working and earning, but if I believe it was 75 days. If they had 75 days of solid work, their contract gave them health insurance for the year, for a whole year. So it, I talked to all these, these these beautiful men and women, man, busting their ass working down in the dock, and and I walked amongst them and spoke with them and and just admired their their spirit and their work ethic and and it was it was a beautiful day, and I I discovered I did not know that that delivery of of rice was going to give them enough uh, steady work to provide health insurance for their family for the entire year. So it was it was, it was quite a quite an uplifting moment when I discovered that, and. That's the kind of impact that you can have. You talk about infrastructure. If it wasn't for the port there, then you know that's that rice would have been shipped somewhere else. The I ten corridor is incredibly important. We're building a bridge at I ten in, in Lake Charles. Um, it's in the final stages of planning. What they call the final preferred alternative is being determined. The the state is finishing the 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 environmental impact study that's required. Um, we have, we have a couple of different options. The local elected officials and state elected officials have options on financing. Um, we're going to all work together to get it funded. 
And we're going to build a new bridge. There in Baton Rouge, uh, my colleague and friend, Garrett Graves, is is very close to accomplishing the, the enhancements of the bridge there, which is a bottleneck where it merges with I-110. So the, the I-10 corridor is very important. The I-49 corridor, we're moving forward with the with the I-49 connector through Lafayette. And where, as you know, I-49 is, is, is interstate and north of Lafayette and then south of Lafayette. It's built to interstate standards. And yet through Lafayette, it's surface roads. So the I-49 corridor connectors is a project moving forward. So I just named uh, four major infrastructure um, existing and to be improved elements that feed directly into into economic prosperity. And it, we're gonna continue to focus on um, our roads and bridges, our maritime ports and our water ports, our, our airports, because every one of those uh, elements work together as infrastructure to, to drive economic opportunity and, and financial stability for the entire region. And we're going to keep pushing on it. So yeah, infrastructure is going to happen. It's, it's never stopped happening, but we have, you know, if they're, if they're putting a lot of money on the table, which is another conversation, we're already very well positioned uh, for our infrastructure projects because we've, we've been battling for them for five years and making a lot of progress. It is, so now with the, with the introduction of a new executive in DC and this, uh, this environment where I, I'm, I'm largely against all the money that's being spent. And yet, you know, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to stand in the corner and cross my arms and stomp my feet. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to deliver to the citizens that I serve what federal opportunities are available. And we're already very well positioned with a lot of these big infrastructure projects, including flood mitigation, water management systems, um, you know, the, the dredging. We, we've already been rocking and rolling with this stuff. So now if the federal government ultimately determines that you know a great deal of American treasure is going to be invested uh, across the country, and I will, as a matter of principle, I'll debate against that price tag. Like Joe Biden's infrastructure plan is not an infrastructure plan; it's the Green New Deal. So that, there's some there's some battling to be done and some debate to be engaged in, and I'll be there. But but ultimately, I serve the citizens of Louisiana. And and if the federal government has programs and fundings available that's at an enhanced level, then you're damn right I'm bringing some of that to Louisiana. Well, I think you've proven that uh, in your time in office, Congressman. I, I, you don't have to toot your own horn on that, and I'll do it for you. That uh, you you infrastructure of all things, you bring home the bacon on that, and and I know uh, that's important to the folks in your district. But one. One final uh, serious topic before we get into a few fun questions. Uh, we don't like to get too serious on the podcast, but one thing that is very serious to us in these infrastructure talks, it's kind of a, a hill we're, we're willing to die on as, as Farm Bureau, is uh, 
any of these death taxes that have been floated and proposed as a part of this greater infrastructure plan. And we, we highlighted some of those in our last episode of this podcast. So for any listener out there that hasn't heard them, I'd encourage you to go back and, and check into that because we, we explained it a little better. It's a tough topic to really break down in a short time. But uh, j- Congressman, I, just, uh, I know you're aware of our uh, needs on those issues, but it's just hard for us to understand uh, I know you're with us. It's hard to understand a lot of ideas in D.C., but to to somebody as a business owner who has paid their income taxes and their property taxes and many other uh, taxes along the way as a as a business owner in in the state of Louisiana to to have their business uh, taxed at just crazy rates when they're trying to pass it down to their children is something that uh, is really scary to a lot of farmers out there whose whose dream is to work hard enough and to get by long enough to be able to just pass that farm uh, to their daughter, son, nephew, whoever it may be. So uh, is that something that you're hearing a lot of in, in D.C. as, as oh, a proposed? Yes, uh, yes sir. We're going to fight very hard against it. The, the President Biden has proposed for your listeners to be clear on, he has proposed uh, higher capital gains taxes on inherited assets. Okay, he wants to, he, he wants to, he, he wants to basically seize the property because your money is your property. All right, so he wants to seize your the, the property from working Americans at for for a, a generation or more because you're talking about an inherited assets. He, you're talking about families that have been that been busting their ass for for generations, man. Your grandfather might have started it. Your great grandfather, and it's our it's one of our great goals in life, is it not? Is to leave something more for our children and our grandchildren than 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 we had coming up. And it, this is a, a great American character trait that that should be rewarded, not punished. And so your inherited assets has already been taxed, income taxes, state taxes, fuel taxes, the fees for registrations, all your equipment, your property taxes, and you ultimately end up with a net asset that has been taxed to death all during the course of your life. You leave that for your for your children and your grandchildren. And now President Biden wants to tax them for what you have earned and saved and built your entire life. But yet it poses it, it as taxing totally poses it as taxing uh, the rich. And that's what, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of business owners in your district that aren't in farming that wouldn't uh, would have the same issue, but for for the folks in agriculture uh, to cash flow a hundreds of thousands of dollar tax bill in one one transaction uh, is just unrealistic. And that's that's yeah. really what's just scaring us. Uh, to, but we we know you're fighting on it, Congressman, and, and we're we're very thankful to have you up there to do that. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of our farmers and ranchers, they're land rich, but liquid asset poor. They may not have a lot of money in the bank, but they sure have a lot of their lives and livelihoods invested in that land 
and that land produces for them year after year after year, and they want it to do that for the next generation. That's right, and it, and I challenge any of my my colleagues that 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 want to increase tax burdens and regulatory burdens on on farming families across the country. And bring your ass to a farm. Come work for one week, <laughs> and and you know then let's have this conversation again because. D.C. is a bizarre, disconnected realm when it comes to things like this. You know, a farmer may have may have a thousand acres of land, and and you may have, you know, some heavy equipment. Each of which, you know, one piece of equipment can can cost, you know, one hundred fifty thousand dollars, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So you, you might think that that farmer it has assets that on paper. To say, oh, this makes him a wealthy man. So we're gonna we're gonna seize thirty five percent of his income, and we're gonna tax him on his inheritance. But that farmer sometimes is really struggling to get by year by year, depending upon the harvest and and what the market is doing. Factors across the nation and indeed the world can impact. I mean, look at COVID. The consumption went to zero. And and you had a lot of farmers and cattlemen and uh, you know ranchers across the country, including vegetables and fruits, sugar, rice, everything. The, the consumption went away. No one saw that coming. But who was impacted? Our farmers, the agricultural industry. So to for the president to stand on national TV. And say, well, I'm gonna we're gonna tax American farmers in order to to pay for the <laughs> for the Green New Deal. Mm. It's it's it was really shocking that they're actually taking this approach. And yep. and and how some of these people got elected is is beyond me. But I promise you this, I swear to you this, we're going into this thing fighting. For for the agricultural industry and for American farmers and Americans that actually want to work and seek economic prosperity and financial stability and and leave something something a little bit deeper for their children and their grandchildren than they than they themselves grew up with. We're going to continue to protect the American values that are that are primarily born in rural America. And I, but that doesn't mean we don't have a battle in front of us, brother, because right. we do. Well, Congressman, as a as a son of a farmer who and my family all still farms in North Louisiana, I really appreciate the work that you're doing and, and your commitment and your promise that you just made to to fight and protect those assets and those family farms. And uh, and I know Farm Bureau, you know, as a whole appreciates that uh, uh, that that fighting you're doing for us. And and I I just want to know. What's how important is the relationship with the grassroots organization like Farm Bureau and ha- having that relationship? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked me that. I'm so glad you asked me that because I was about to say that it, I don't know how much time we have left and questions to get to, but I wanted to be sure to to give a great deal of love and respect to our partners with Farm Bureau. My office constantly calls upon Farm Bureau and, and ask advice about upcoming legislations and 
and appropriations uh, considerations. We're in appropriation season right now in D.C. This happens every year. Farm Bureau and the, the, the men and women that, that work with Farm Bureau in Louisiana and in D.C. that have been like an asset for our office, almost an extension of our office. And I hope that they can attest to the truth of that statement. We have constant communications. My staff has, has developed relationships uh, with, with, our, with, with the folks at Farm Bureau and, and we seek their counsel and advice. And we listen very carefully because I don't think there's a, there's a, a deeper, more truthful voice for the, the, for the farmers and agricultural industry of America than Farm Bureau. And Louisiana has, I would argue, one of the best teams in the country, the Farm Bureau. So we're proud to be partners with them. And we could not serve, there's no way we could serve the, the agricultural industry of, of Louisiana the way that we do without partnering with Farm Bureau. Let me just leave it at that. Well, I'm going to turn to my producer and see how quickly that uh, I can get this in an email to my boss to see uh, what kind of uh, it, it, it could be appropriation season at Farm Bureau to the uh, National Affairs Coordinator after that endorsement. So, you know, I'm I uh, I, I kid, but uh, it's really about our members, and and that's what we're going to do. Hopefully, some later this week, uh, as long as everybody's healthy and up to it, is get back out uh, and and see some of these crawfish facilities and rice farmers and cattle. And, and elsewhere so we gotta we gotta wrap it up with uh some a, a fun question or two so i'll uh, i hope congressman that you and i get to enjoy some crawfish later in the week so i'm i'm gonna throw you a, a curveball and ask beyond just the the beautiful louisiana crawfish in a crawfish boil uh I, carl and i debate back and forth a lot about uh, the add-ins, the fixings, the sides that get boiled along uh, with them. So, do you have a favorite uh, crawfish pot addition? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I like to have. Of course, the corn and potatoes are a requirement, but you, some folks have, you sure. put your potatoes in there too too soon, and <laughs> you got to put the potatoes in right at the at the proper time. The corn too, because you want your corn to be. You don't want mushy and, corn, yeah, and, yeah. And, to, and to pop a little bit. You don't want mushy corn and mushy potatoes. Yeah, you have to know what you're doing. I like to add, almost last, large whole mushrooms. Mm. Now you're talking and, my language. And, and so, the, so that's so that's it. Other than that, and I, I do not put onions because they fall apart and, and they, they add kind of a I don't know a little bit of a texture to things that, that I don't know. you put onions in a in the onion bag yeah and it and and let them let them cook in there but some folks throw whole onions in there i don't do that yeah you yeah, spend all so that time cleaning corn, crawfish you don't want slimy onions uh taking over exactly exactly so corn and potatoes and and large whole mushrooms at the right time in the boil it's really the end of the boil your work on uh, Crime Stoppers earned you the nickname of the Cajun John Wayne. Uh, your right hand man John is is quite a, a a built fellow. He's he he looks like he could probably curl me with one hand. Okay, so both he, of y'all are he probably can he 
He uses hundred pound dumbbells. I can tell yeah. you that. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just north of a hundred pounds, so you know, yeah, he could definitely uh, take me and and toss me around like a pizza pie. But you know, y'all are both trained law enforcement officers, so I was wondering, y'all would make a great tag team wrestling duo. I think that that would be like. <laughs> The, the folks to face. So if y'all were to have a tag team wrestling match, who would you want your opponents to be from the house, from the, the U.S. house? Who would you want those opponents to be, and who would you want to be the referee? Well, let me say that. Careful, Congressman, who you want to uh, take to the mat may could, get you in trouble. So Avery's walking you down a path. I'm going to rescue you. No, it's all <laughs> fun and games. I'm just, I'm just going to say, hey, I'm going to give you the honest answer. They can pick who they like. They can pick the, the, the whatever young studs they feel they have. <laughs> and and they put two of them in the ring. You got Showtan and I. They get they, they're going to go down, and they're going to go down hard. <laughs> Honestly. And who would be the referee w- wouldn't really matter because <laughs> it wouldn't be a long conversation. You'd go in there like Hawk and the Animal from the Road Warriors, if you remember them. I'm showing my age now. But they would just go in and just demolish whoever they were up against. Well, I, I would not want it to be a cage Man. match because I would want a quick exit to get out uh, from <laughs> Mr. Chauvin. Yeah, it'd have to be a cage because, you know, when they saw Showtan, he it, They'd be running against me. They'd be, oh yeah, you know, let's let's fight. But when Showtan showed up in there, <laughs> they'd be looking for the exit quickly. So I, I I'm not interested in uh, in in injuring any of my colleagues from either side of the aisle. So let's avoid actual cage matches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's not do that. Let's go back to food real quick, Congressman. Last uh, last question from me, but in the district. And in D.C., so two answers. What are your favorite, uh, your must-haves, your go-to places to, to grab a grab dinner, grab lunch? Uh, what are the places that you look forward to, to eating at in both homes, I guess? Wow. Here, it's, it's really hard to say because there's, man, I live in Lafayette, <laughs> and and I, I can tell you, man, there's, there's a couple hundred really excellent um restaurants is small and large some of them are barely a gas station and you have some of the best food you can imagine over in sulfur i like to get pull boys at a place called wayne and lanes i don't know if you've ever been there it's a that's a, a, a working man's kind of an industry uh pool hall so there's a bar in there some pool tables and and you know, on any given night you might you might witness a, a decent fight and at some table somewhere, <laughs> but they have some of the best poor boys I've ever had in Louisiana at Wayne and Lane's and Salford here, right, right down the street from my, from my house is a restaurant called Mason's. They have incredible food. Um, hmm. we, we like to pick up, uh, you know, deep Louisiana food and bring it home. I like to cook here. I grill all the time. If mm-hmm. I'm home, I enjoy cooking. I, I I cook in the kitchen. I cook in on the grill. I, I enjoy cooking myself. In D.C., you're gonna be surprised, man. But you know, I stay in my office. Um, I I, I don't go to D.C. to play and eat. Mm-hmm. I, I go there to work. So I commonly will eat um, Ritz crackers in the morning <laughs> wow. for breakfast, and and I. I might have 
uh, a can of, of Vienna sausage for lunch and and supper be something very simple. I may have a supper engagement, may have a meeting, in which case, you know, you eat a little better depending upon where the people want to want to meet. But um, I'd stay in my office. I sleep on a mat on the floor and, and I eat very simple foods and not much of it when I'm in D.C. because it's a, it's a 16 hour, 17 hour work day every day. Yeah. And and I'm not playing up there. So my my delicious food consumption is reserved for Louisiana, which we, I return home every weekend. Uh, I do not live in D.C. I work there. I know now why uh, why we get you back to the district so often. It's to get a good meal. It's not to come visit with the Farm Bureau. So uh, <laughs> you, you tell Turner, uh, he and I will find somewhere good to eat. Uh, us Mississippi boys know how to eat, too. So we, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully yeah, be up right. to— you, my wife— my wife Becca is from Mississippi. They, 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 I think they passed a law in Baton Rouge long ago that I'm not allowed to marry any Louisiana girls. So <laughs> they, they sent me to Mississippi to, to to find my wife, and I'm glad I did. Becca's from Natchez, and she is the light of my life. So, yeah, they they, they know how to eat there too, but not quite as as good. Well, you get north of I-10. Oh yeah, and things go downhill quickly. Well, now it gets watch rough. Out. It gets real rough. I mean, listen, <laughs> gets know, rough, man. <laughs> uh, you brought up uh, Wayne and Lanes, but also uh, you got Old Time Grocery right there by UL Lafayette, and I, I know a certain bulldog yeah, right. who could probably stand to learn something about what good eating is like over at Old Time Grocery. I root for all po boys. <laughs> I don't care what uh, affiliation with Equal athletics they have. Yeah. If it's a po boy, I am on that team. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be good bread, though. Oh, yeah. You have to have the right bread. And, it, it, you know, you can mess up a poor boy. Yeah, that's for sure. But, guys, um, everything we're talking about, food right now, that's part of our culture. This is it. We can never forget that that culture begins on the farm. Because if, if, you're, if you're eating it, somebody produced it, grew it, raised it, processed it, and packaged it and delivered it. Mm-hmm. So the the agricultural industry supports what what is known as the culture of, of Louisiana, the Deep South. We're known for our food. That's our farmers. That's our agricultural industry. And those are the values that we must continue to support and to fight for when they come under oppressive rule or tax burden out of uh, idiots in D.C. that don't get it, so you you can count on you can count on our office and our staff to to we're going to eat well, but we're going to remember where that food came from, and that it was raised by a hardworking American farming family or agricultural industry family. Well, Congressman Higgins, we are so glad that you are there fighting for our farmers and ranchers there in Washington, D.C. And thank you so much for joining us on the Grassroots Government Podcast. It really has been a pleasure. I've interviewed you a number of times, but this has probably been one of the most fun interviews I've had with you. Well, thank you, sir. After I hang up, let me tell you what I'm not going to have. I'm not going to have any avocado toast. (laughs) I don't think they make an avocado toast po' boy. And if they did, someone would need to be shot for that. (laughs) I think think that's in the Louisiana law books as well. I'd probably eat it. I'd eat it. I'd eat it if it was served right, you know. It's got to be on the right bread. I'm just saying. Yeah, got to be on the right bread. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. All love and respect. Uh, thank you for allowing me to be on your show. I apologize. I'm not there in person, but I, I hope I hope that your that your listeners feel my love and respect. And I have I have dedicated staff. We are at your avail. We always respond, and we we will work very hard to to help any of your listeners or your members make through any kind of difficulties they're having with the federal government. We're there to work for you. That's how the founders intended this this government to function, and that's how I see my role. I'm I am a, a congressional servant to the people of Louisiana. Congressman Clay Higgins from Louisiana's third district, and Andy Carl. That that was a pretty good guest there. That that you you got a good get there, Andy. It's two to none over Joe Mapes. Joe, uh, I'm at the table and you on the menu, bro, because I'm bringing it. <laughs> I tell you what, we we were supposed to have him in person, and that podcast went a little bit longer. So for the listeners, I'm sorry if that's a little bit too long for you. But had he been in person, we probably would have talked and. Our stomachs would have just growled for another thirty <laughs> minutes, an hour, probably. We could have talked all day with him. He was well. That's honestly, I try to shoot folks straight. I'm, I'm uh, hopefully known for that, uh, and that's that's Captain Higgins every day, every time we meet with him. How he is when we get to bring people to D.C. Uh, that's why they they're comfortable with him, uh, and it's it's fun, it's enjoyable, but it's also if you listen hard enough, you'll hear. Uh, a different Congressman Higgins than you would have heard five years ago when he mm-hmm. first took office. And that, again, all that credit goes back to those folks that we take to D.C. or we that are hosting these tours this week or doing those things that you sometimes think when you hear of, of a Biden infrastructure plan and how far from the farm it is, you just need to remember that there are people like Congressman Higgins who, who have learned and have heard our message and are, are starting to understand it well i'll tell you what it's not hard to realize and figure out where he stands on having us citizens come back to dc i think it's pretty clear mm-hmm. that he's ready for that to be oh yeah to be a thing again because he like it clearly likes to meet with his constituents what i also liked was how much he said he depends on farm bureau right to understand what impacts are there whenever it comes to an infrastructure bill, when it comes to a death tax, when it comes to something like that. And not to toot Andy's horn, but I'm going to do it in front of him anyway. You know, that really is that relationship that you helped garner in your role and that our mem- that you helped direct our membership on. Because, you know, yes, you're, you're the paid staff member, but at the end of the day, it's our grassroots folks who are in his district who really make the difference well yeah i have the have the title and uh and and love working for the bureau but at the end of the day there's a lot of guys like me knocking on his door every day that don't get the access that we just had and that's not because i'm better uh you know some superstar compared to those other men and women lobbyists uh that actually register as a lobbyist i don't have to do that i don't have to register as a federal lobbyist because I'm just bringing that member that has the message, that has the issue, that has the capital gains taxes, that has the the dream of passing on their farm, that has the crawfish plant with that needs H2B workers. Uh, Andy Brown doesn't have any of that, but what he has is 136,000 member families that uh, are willing to step up and make that message heard. Yeah, and I liked that he referred to Farm Bureau as his partner. 
Mm-hmm. He says, I mean, he says that clear as day in the podcast. And it's like, yeah, that's that's what we need with, you know, every representative, state level, parish level, national level. I mean, that's that's the partnership that we want. And that's I think that's what brings a lot of value to our membership. Yeah. And that's that's why we enjoy having this podcast. And we know that we went long and that's why we're wrapping it up now. But, uh, you know, having a situation like this where you can hear from Congressman Higgins directly, where you can hear that you as a grassroots member make a difference, that your calls, your emails are what guide those decisions. So remember, you got to keep keep it up. You got to uh, stay involved at a grassroots level. For Andy Brown, for Carl Wiggers, for Joe Mapes, who did not make it, I'm Avery Davidson on the Grassroots Government Podcast. Remember, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. In a po' boy. <laughs>